0: Petrol profits. We're gonna do something about it. Beneficiary sanctions.
1: Their children will be punished.
0: And euthanasia round two. Clumsy, awkward and complex. Kiana and welcome to One News Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up where we discuss the political stories we've been covering this week. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Jessica Much Mackay.
1: And I'm Benedict Collins.
0: And we'll head straight into our peaks and our pits for the week. We'll start to my left, shall we? Do you want to start positive or negative? You get to decide. Negative. Okay, let's go <laughs>
2: negative then. Um, my pit of the week is um, the gender pay gap, so... Uh, yesterday we got the updated stats from um, Stats New Zealand, and it's still 9.3%, so that hourly rate difference between men and women. And I just think it's one of those things that it's been a- static for about two years, and it's just frustrating. I just think from um, a female perspective, it's just one of those things that, that it's taking so long to get things going on this and I I know that it's something that's close to the Prime Minister's heart and close to the um, Minister's heart as well but I just think that it's disappointing that it's taking... This long and it, yeah, I think that was my my frustration this week. What about you?
0: Yes, uh, my pit this week um, occurred earlier in the week uh, and basically a follow on from um, you know the letters saga um, with um, the Christchurch mosque um, alleged uh, gunman, um, and we obviously saw how that played out uh, a lot last week. Um, there was a lot of questions around how um, he was able to um, receive and send letters uh, and. I just um, uh, noticed that Christine Stevenson, the Chief Executive of Corrections, um, was quick, I thought, to throw one of her prison uh, bosses or managers under the bus on that one. She sort of said look, you know, I I would have expected him to make a better call. It's not a call that I would have made. Um, In my view though I think when you're dealing with such a high profile uh, person like him, unprecedented as they've said, uh, everything to do with that guy should have gone across her desk as the Chief Executive and the desk of the Minister and I think it was a scapegoat move to throw the prisoner boss under the bus and I put that to the Prime Minister at her post-cabinet press conference on Monday and I was a bit disappointed I must say um, by her response. She basically said "You know, New Zealanders don't really care about um, who's to blame here Um, we've apologised as a government, as corrections and we're moving forward. But I think accountability is important. I think if you have got incompetence in um, such senior roles, um, which I believe that, that is incompetence, that it didn't go across her desk, that it didn't go across the minister's desk, um, then we need to call that out. And so that's my pitch. And, and the Prime Minister may have had a point
2: last week when the story breaks, but now two weeks on from that, so accountability is very much a question that can
0: be asked. Well, and we saw last week, them. right, with um, uh, the chief statistician, you know, she, she, she staffed up there um, and she fell on her sword. She took responsibility and I'm not saying this is a sackable affair but at least own up to the fact that actually a person of that sort of priority should have been coming across your desk from day one.
1: Yeah, and with the chief statistician resigning, it was also clear there'd been you know, lots of failures b- below that level as well, right? But she said, no, no, it's up for me to take responsibility there. I've got two observations this week, not really um, pits and peaks, but absolutely bizarre. We're going to have a look at a track a little bit later, but this week the Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, has come out and basically supported um, the drug sanction regime that we apply to beneficiaries in this country Um, and that is after Labour furiously opposed these sanctions, including the drug sanctions, um, back in 2013. At that stage, um, Jacinda O'Doom was um, their social development spokesperson. She gave uh, made repeated comments against the drug sanctions. Um, She's come out this week and said, oh no no, hey, we have to have um, there have to be obligations, um, you know carrot and and obligations there for for these beneficiaries Um, and and also, um, basically saying, "Hey, look, when, when children are involved, it's appropriate to take away half the parents' benefit if they do fail a drug test." We're going to dig deep into these into these fascinating stats a little bit later in the track. But yeah, to see the about turn there, um, pretty incredible. Uh, back in 2013, Phil Twyford uh, said in Parliament that doing that to a beneficiary who has children will cause severe damage. Um, to the children in that household. So for Labour to now be backing this, um, while the Greens are furiously opposed, really interesting. And hey, I'll keep going. (laughs) <laughs> One second um, A really um, Another fascinating thing this week An apology on the RNZ website To uh, Donghua Lu, A Chinese businessman um, You don't often see apologies in the media like this um, I'll just read you a little bit The article claimed that Mr Liu had fled to New Zealand From China and that he was returning to face Corruption charges there For which he could be executed and his organs harvested RNZ accepts that None of these statements were true um, And it's a rather lengthy uh, ap- Apology there for a story that went up Three years ago, so I imagine that's been bubbling away for a mm. while there. But, um, yeah, the apology is quite incredible to read and
2: fulsome,
1: you, yeah, you, very, yeah, sp- and an a, a undisclosed confidential settlement mm-hmm. made as well. But, um, yes, yeah. interesting. Um,
2: my, um, peak this week is probably throwing forward a little bit more, um, looking at KiwiBuild, we're due for this reset. Next week, it's been we've had um, we've had another senior person um, step down. Her contract um, was due to run out in a month, and so she's stepped down from that position. And it just got us thinking again about the reset that has been so long awaited and that should be only a number of days away, so um, that is something to look forward to um, perhaps next week, fingers crossed, we and might finally <laughs>
1: see the reset. And I, I imagine it may be uh, devoid of targets.
2: I, I would imagine they have <laughs> yes. learned their lessons but let us, let us wait and see yeah. which is why my anticipation rate is so
0: high with this one. Yes, because in terms of targets, Calvin Davis obviously putting a five year target on decrease our prison population this week, was was interesting that he even put a figure on it. Mm. Uh, yeah, Took Dec- him a few questions. Took him a few, th- <laughs> th- thanks to Jess. <laughs> what number did he, was he saying about 10% coming down by 10%? Yeah, and to be fair he was
2: just dividing his 15-year um, target. but 30? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. But he... Uh, he got there. So there you go, folks. The 10% prison population reduction in the next five years. Now, that is not my peak. My peak actually goes to Damien O'Connor, Agriculture Minister, uh, for this week, calling out Fonterra bosses. Basically, he said, you know, their performance has been so woeful. The, the performance of the company, they're looking at major uh, deficits this year. And he said, on that note, they should take major cuts to their pay. So down with the big fat cat sipping on the Fonterra milk, he reckons. Or I reckon. But that's pretty much my take on it and that is my peak. So they're running out of petrol, they're running out of gas over there at Fonterra and of course the issue of gas. Did you guys like my segue?
2: Yeah, I feel like Benedict's got something (laughs) else to add though and he might ruin this very clever segue. I
1: I was just interested to see Teo Spearings, the ex-chief executive who took off back to um, the Netherlands, who who had run run Fonterra for a number of years um, and made you know, in hindsight, what well, some pretty terrible decisions that have really backfired on the company, you know, which 10,000 dairy farmers are a part of. Um, he got another $4 million um, sort of payout again just oh, just the other day, you know. gosh. While, while the company's forecasting. Isn't just, you know, oh, just a it just, it, you know farmers
0: <laughs> around the country would just, you know, be in horror to hear that. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So so Tao put the pedal to the metal, took took off all the way back. Yep. Uh, to to his homelands. And in terms of pedal to the metal, let's take a look at this fuel track by Jess March Mackay.
2: We're being ripped off. I can give them again too, we're not going to stand by while they continue to be fleeced, it's not right. That promise comes as a high level report shows we're paying more than nearly all other OECD countries Fuel companies are making big bucks here and we need more players to bring down prices.
0: The fuel market is not as competitive as it should be. We're going to do something about it.
2: So what can be done? The Commerce Commission recommends softening the rules around contracts so that petrol companies can switch between suppliers. And letting smaller players tap into the infrastructure of the big companies, for example using the Marsden oil refinery and the fuel pipeline to Auckland. None of the three heavy hitters would answer questions. BP would only say it's cooperated in full with the inquiry and will keep doing so. Zed says it understands New Zealanders need a fair deal for fuel and it agrees with the Commission on a number of points. And Mobil says it's engaged consistently and actively in the process and adds it looks to make a reasonable return on its investments. For most customers, the report's not a shock.
3: We go to work to pay for petrol just to go to work again. Could be cheaper. Doesn't seem to be a lot of competition. It's very high, seriously.
2: It all started last year. New Zealand consumers in my book are being fleeced. Now the Commerce Commission has confirmed that that is true. But National says, what about fuel taxes?
1: Jacinda Ardern is the fleecer in chief with all of the taxes that she's piled on.
2: This is a draft report by the competition watchdog and the government won't say what it'll do. Or how much Kiwis are being ripped off until the final report in December.
1: Tinkering, you'll get talking, um, which is pretty cheap in comparison with the price of petrol.
2: And by the time we see any changes to the prices at the pump, it'll be election year. So we saw the Prime Minister coming out really strongly on that. She you, she walked down to the caucus run in the morning and she came out um, really strongly. We heard that word fleeced over and over again, both from her and from the opposition leader as well. And the fact is she's inserted herself into this. So she said, right, this is going to be my thing that I'm going to act on. The trouble is, is that in terms of timing, we're not going to see any action on this for a while. So we've got this... Conference where they're all getting together and they're going to discuss it, then the Commerce Commission have to come back with their report. That's not going to be till December. And then it'll be not till February that the government starts really looking at what they're going to do on it. And, of course, we're then in election year of the, on all of this. So I just think the fact that the Prime Minister said, right, I'm going to be making a difference for the number that appears on those boards when you go and buy your petrol um, just to me seems like an extraordinary thing to be wanted to be held to account for when there are so many other factors like overseas influences and um, taxes, uh, regional fuel taxes and excise taxes as well so yeah. I do think it's really interesting
0: Lots of pressure on the yeah. Prime Minister to deliver on this, so on one hand she's got that pressure to deliver on the other hand though as you mentioned it does um, in some ways provide her a good launching pad um, into the election next year because she'll have the backing of this Commerce Commission report, um, which basically gives her leeway to be able to flash to the public voters a um, bit a bit of a, bit of, uh, a good policy around um, decreasing petrol prices, which you know voters are going to love. So well,
1: that's right. Everyone sitting in their car is going to think, hey. Well, a lot of people sitting in their cars might be thinking, hey, you know, the Prime Minister's going into bat for us. She wants us, you know, she's trying to get these fuel companies to stop ripping us off, you know, so we can get. A better deal at the pump, you know. So less of my salary gets spent on fuel. But then I look at it from the other side, with you know the the prime minister saying climate change is our nuclear-free moment, you know, for our generation, it's, it's completely contradictory to want cheaper fossil fuels, you know, so people can burn more of them for a government that's you know one of its top priorities supposed to be addressing climate change.
2: And bizarre. that's that's what's such an interesting balancing act. It's funny that you mentioned that that um, the. Guy who we did the Vox Pop with in the story right at the beginning. I almost could have used about 45 seconds of him because he was so articulate and so strong. And he said, you know, look, um, basically I go to work to get petrol and then to go to work again. And he was saying, it's just not a fair price. And he was like, you know, the, in the situation that we're in, I just don't feel like I'm getting a fair deal in this. And I thought, yeah, that resonate. And, and that must be the message that the Prime Minister's getting all the time with that kind of stuff. It's just, it's 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 the fairness and da 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 so I just I thought he was it was an interesting point that he and made.
0: Kate Nicole Williams did a good story for us a follow up last night, um, and she uh, interviewed um, a representative from Z, who's one of the three major companies who own about ninety percent of you the American share saying market. Z, not Zed. 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 Sorry, <laughs> did She watches too much Zed. American television? <laughs> um, and he was saying in terms of you know a solution to this, he was saying you know self regulation um, will probably work quicker um, than you know any sort of government imposed thing. Now, of course he say that, but then you had got the little guys like Gull, um, who basically came straight off the back of that, saying no, actually, because we've tried and tried to work with these bigger companies, and it just hasn't worked for us smaller guys, um, and it's it's creating that competition, which is really key. So interesting to see them, and it'll be good to see how they go at that big conference. And I think that's the thing because
2: you've got a situation where you, you have the big, play, the three big players um, wanting and taking, what's what's the best word to use, kind of dominating the resources and the infrastructure around it. So you've got the Marsden Point refinery and you've got things like um, the fuel line to Auckland. So they control that. So if they want someone to come in, if uh, someone new in the market, they have to allow them to use that. And, of course, you're sitting there and you're like, you're dreaming if you think you're going to come in as a new player and use that. So I think that that's those... Those deals have been in place for a really long time and that's what makes it harder so when you don't have that wholesale competition you don't have that retail competition and that's where you can sit on your big fat fuel prices and go well only down the road it's going to be the same and down the road that way it's going to be the same so unless you have those smaller players coming in there's there's, no problem for them
1: and the government also you know maintaining its line um oh hey no 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 there's no need for us to reduce the taxes mm. you know we charge per litre of fuel And it was interesting being at the commerce commission press conference earlier this week where they put it in a graph and you know sitting at around a dollar you know making up of the 220 or 230 that you're paying for 91 at the moment it's not it's around about a dollar that you know they're taking in, in mm. tax
0: yeah. Mm, and that prompted the good line I thought from in your track from um, Simon yes. Bridges calling Jacinda Ardern the chief fleecer. Yeah uh, based on fleecer that. And fleecer in chief. Fleecer in chief. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it was a really enjoyable track to watch actually. Oh, <laughs> lots good. of lots uh, of lots yeah. of really good um sound bites. I thought throughout. Not, yeah. Not a,
2: yeah, good t- content, thank you. <laughs> but not an easy tongue twister, um, for Mr Bridges. So I thought he got that one out yeah. um very very well. So does that segue us quite nicely to the um to the historic track, do you want to have a whirl at? Because Mikey's no, on the I did roll not, too.
0: I did not watch the historic track. Um, I have well, no idea will, what this is about. It, it
2: brings <laughs> in this idea of of um, carless days um, from was it the eighties, which, the which 70s? were a reality?
1: Eh? L- was it yeah, the late seventies? I think. Yeah,
2: um, and it's an interesting little idea, and I always quite like watching these. Historic and it tracks.
1: was at a time when I think there were international supply issues and stuff, so people had to had to pick a day mm. not to drive. Check it out.
3: A big change in lifestyle, leaving the car at home. Some New Zealanders felt it for the first time today. Willingly or not, one of the world's keenest car-owning nations is about to rediscover its feet, at least one day a week. So how did people choose their carless day?
0: I wasn't
1: using it,
4: but it's as simple as that. My husband's got it on that day. Well, I'm retired, so it doesn't make much difference during the week.
0: Well, we rely, three people rely on getting to work during the week. And if we want to go for the weekend, I chose Saturday. If we want to go for the weekend, we can travel on a Friday night and come back on a Sunday.
3: Minister of Energy Bill Birch has given people a choice, even though that could affect petrol savings. Well,
4: uh, the human way to select a carless day is to select the day that causes one the least inconvenience. It's
3: not OK to opposition MP Richard Preble. Carless days are monstrously unfair. There are something like 200,000 people who've been given exemptions. And on top of that, about a third of New Zealanders own two cars, and all those people aren't going to be affected by carless days. Whether carless days work or not, they signal the end of an era. The days of jumping into the car on impulse are gone, almost certainly for good. We are going to have to think again.
2: So don't necessarily think that that's a... A, a terrible idea for us. I mean, it was one of those things that you couldn't make it compulsory now. But for each of us, if you said, look, pick a day where you just can't use your car, I think a lot of us would think, OK, well, maybe I could do public transport that day or maybe I could just walk to work that day. And I don't mind it as an idea. I mean, it's, it's the luxury of living in Wellington as we have the so public smaller transport. So small right, yeah, yeah. and Yeah, and you're not... Um, Commuting for hours. As if you're things. working on
1: one side mm-hmm. of Auckland and living on the other side, right, it's oh yeah, exactly. Feedback. But I do
2: think it's an interesting idea that maybe some camp- an environmental campaigner could take it on as a pick a pick yeah, a I'm day, a and you could where you like know it. have a little sticker on your car and yeah. We might. I might suggest that to our um, political producer Jessica Roden. She's quite into. The, it might be a good blog for her. Julian Ginty might like it. Yeah, yeah. You never know. Um, shall we? Shall we have yeah, a look now at Benedict's track? This has been something that he's been digging away on quite a lot this week. Let's have a look at that now.
1: At the United Nations, promising a new approach on drugs. Taking a, a health approach. We want to do what works, uh, and so we're using a strong
2: evidence base to do that.
1: But back home, still punishing the few beneficiaries who fail drug tests. You punish someone with a sanction, and they can lose their benefit for up to 12 weeks. They will be punished, their children will be punished. Last year, beneficiaries were put forward for almost 40,000 rolls, which required drug testing. It's not known how many tests were actually carried out but there were 114 failed tests that includes those who refused the test or who didn't turn up that means for every 345 referrals which required a drug test only one ended in failure A year ago, the ministry said the sanctions didn't make sense.
3: For normal New Zealanders, we'll think we can stop their benefit. Of course we can. But that's not our mode of approach. That's not our operating model. Because doing that doesn't help a person become employed and independent.
1: But official information obtained by One News shows it went on to impose sanctions in nearly two-thirds of all cases. That's
0: that's pretty dodgy.
1: The Greens feel misled. I
0: take that as a breach
1: of trust. I take that
2: as... um, income breaking their promise to people and I think that really undermines the trust in the system.
1: Today the Ministry said it is legally obliged to impose the sanctions and only does so as a last resort. It said the government needs to change the law for it to stop. The Prime Minister says she wants to see strong evidence when it comes to drug matters. Well her government commissioned experts to look at all the evidence surrounding these drug sanctions. The advice? dump them. The Minister's views on drug sanctions are well known. I agree they're stigmatising but I guess it's a hangover from the previous government who were attempting uh, to try and look like they were coming down hard on beneficiaries. National says the government won't change a thing.
3: Look it's like so many areas we're seeing the government's pretty part-time and
0: incompetent they're failing to deliver on their promises.
1: The controversial sanctions looking like a hard habit to kick. A year ago now, we we did a pretty straightforward interview with MST with Vivricard, Deputy Chief Executive, who said to us, Hey look, we don't want to keep doing this anymore. Um, you know, it's not it doesn't help, you know, penalising people, it doesn't help them to get into employment, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I thought at the time, hey, this almost really, really lines up with the government's kind of approach of, of wanting to, you know, treat drugs as a health issue, trying to help people, not punish them didn't think anything of it you know did the story went to air a year later we get an OIA back showing that they've continued to apply sanctions and punish the people that he told us they were going to stop doing that right just absolutely bizarre the Greens you know repeatedly um, this week have been telling me that they're really concerned about why msd continued to do that msd now you know they're refusing to put Rick out up for another interview you know screaming blue murder about oh that story was wrong it's like he <laughs> didn't say anything for a year um you know sort of really interesting um week but it, i also find just the whole thing that you monitor f- and, and it's the same every year it's around forty thousand beneficiaries get sent off for jobs that require drug tests And it's always around that 100 figure who fail. Um, You know, just tiny, tiny numbers. And to see, yeah, the the way that sort of played out this week with the Prime Minister coming in to to back them when they've been opposing them so furiously in opposition, Mm. just... Just really bizarre
0: hypocrisy in action. It was really good to see the contrasting view, um, uh, uh, statements there from your track when we saw, you know, the prime minister and Phil Twyford in that, you know, um, just in the last few years saying one thing and then, of course, now they're in power, they're saying a different thing. And I think it's really disappointing. I think that, you know, the prime minister even still today um, maintained that these numbers are small, and I just think if they are so small, a hundred, yeah. like you say, then why even bother with that when? Part Part of that includes taking, like you said in your track, 50% of money from parents, e.g. 50% of the food off the table for their children, you could argue. Um, and so I just think, what is the point when you were so strong in opposition, to hold on to such a punitive approach when you're dealing with the likes of 100 people.
2: And there was some interesting Twitter response uh, to the story as well, wasn't there? Yeah, like
1: people um, uh, who are normally quite big fans of of the Prime Minister, people like um, Neil Jones, a lobbyist in in Wellington, um, the the commentator David Cormack, just saying you know, there's no justification for continuing this. Um, you know, it's really out of line with the way the Prime Minister normally behaves. Um, I think David Cormack said, you know, what you're doing is just expletive wrong, Prime Minister, kind of thing, right? Um you know, interesting to see people who are normally really aligned and, and supportive of her really questioning where she's going on this.
0: I was really disappointed too to see um, Carmel Cipollone take that kind of position as the minister now, because when she was in opposition and Labor, I'd interviewed her a number of times on the same sort of things, and she was really a strong opposition MP, very critical of the likes of Paula Bennett and Tolly. And now that she's gotten into this role, and and you know the people who are affected by this are largely Maori and Pacific. Our communities, um, and she's taking that hard approach. I just think mm, it's a little bit disappointing.
1: Yeah, but given, you know, given especially like I mentioned in the piece to camera in that track, hey, and, and we've got other stories up on the One News website. You can check out. I've done other stories this week on this issue. Um, uh, you know, the Welfare Advisory Group saying ditch this, but the Prime Minister still wants to stick with it. Uh, just one other thing that kind of I think a little bit odd is that. You know, we've gone to the Greens repeatedly this week. They've voiced their concerns, but they still couldn't be bothered asking a question in question time about mm. it to the government. You know, three three days in a row they had opportunities that they chose not to. Pretty interesting there. Um, you know, I don't think Matiria Ray or Russell Norman would have been letting that go like they have.
2: Mm, interesting point. Yeah. Well, shall we segue into euthanasia? That's what Mikey had a look at yesterday. Big controversial issue that's bubbled up again this week. Take a look.
0: Round two of the euthanasia debate underway, but the whole bill's been slammed by the Disability Commissioner. This process, which is clumsy, awkward, cumbersome and complex, continues to pose a number of risks. She says, get rid of it. If New Zealanders really want this kind of scheme then start again.
4: I mean, really, I, I think that the Disability Commissioner is being disingenuous.
0: MPs are now thrashing out the practicalities from a person's first meeting with a doctor through to ending their life, one of the major concerns being coercion. Only one doctor has to assess coercion. Courts around the world have grappled with determining whether or not a person is being coerced. David Seymour says that's wrong. The bill stating a doctor must ensure the person expresses their wish free from pressure by conferring with other health practitioners. Do you think it's explicit enough
4: though? Yeah I think it is because what you've got to remember is that if two doctors get this wrong um, they can potentially go to jail.
0: But opponents say there's a problem with the words which state a doctor should do their best.
4: You could argue about the wording, you could say they absolutely must, uh, but actually nobody can do better than the best they're capable of.
1: There's lots of stronger wording and lots of other different acts of parliament, so there's no reason we can't be a bit more robust.
0: Coercion from family members, the biggest worry. I'm making sure that doctors talk to people who can't benefit from the will, who are not necessarily family members. David Seymour's bill tweaked to add a six month window cooling off period where the option of euthanasia remains open once it's been granted.
4: Sometimes just having the power takes the pressure off people and and they decide that actually uh, they want to die naturally. It's so personal and the important thing here is choice.
0: That choice, something MPs will continue to debate. So, obviously, part two there being debated in the House um, in terms of those committee stages, in terms of, in particular, um, David Seymour's changes that he put up. And really interesting, I thought, to see um, the Disability Commissioner come out and say, you know, look, actually, we need to get rid of it. It's it's just too complex, it's too complicated because it's such a big piece of legislation. And the problem has been that we are dealing with all of these amendments, all of these supplementary order papers and changes and, you know, even on the day, um, you've got the likes of national MPs putting in different ones as well. And granted, yes, they do get voted down, um, but it just it just creates a lot of things for for people to keep up with um, and on such an important issue. She's like, get rid of it. David Seymour, though, obviously um, keen to keep pushing it through. Yeah,
1: hey, but what did you, you... know, I was watching your track last night, and David Seymour was saying um, he feels that the Disability Commissioner, she's got ulterior motives here. You know, she's not really being honest with people about why she doesn't like this but what do you think you know what do you take well, away from that what do you think he's getting I at? take
0: that with a grain of salt to be honest, because he said that about every person who has um, come up against his bill, every opponent to this bill, that's what they, he said about they have them. religious
1: opposition to it. That they think, have or?
0: sort of moral, personal opposition to it, and that they're not looking at it from an objective point of view, but they're coming at it from a personal point of view, which you could argue is correct, but I think when he uses it so much in a blanket term, I tend not to sort of, I, it kind of just goes over the top of my head, I think he just uses that to sort of get to um, those members of the public who are listening to try and instil a a bit of doubt in their minds as to what the critics are saying
1: but I think that on the flip side though of- I sort of see him. He does make changes to his bill, you know, when people come back with ideas that and we've I think right?
0: he, he deserves credit for that, yeah, because he's he's worked really hard on this. Is obviously, like we've said in the past, his big sort of moment, his big political baby, if you like. So he's really tried to usher it through um, to get as much support as possible. So he has. He's made a number of changes, and he said that you know he was disappointed because he has been working with the Disability C- Commissioner um, and has made changes that she's wanted, but obviously is still not enough there. Um, But, you know, we saw that second part pass last night in Parliament 69 to 51 votes um, so we've got a few more rounds of debating those changes um, and then of course is the big question of a referendum. And I think I
2: bumped into Andrew Little in the elevator just before and he said that they went till about 20 past 11 last night so there, there's obviously as you talk about all those layers and those complexities coming through and then pile on top of all of that and then we've got this issue of a referendum and whether we should it should be up to the public to decide which New Zealand First would like and, and whether they're going, whether we're going to do that. So it's just, there's so many, and you did a good job of, of breaking it down and explaining it yesterday because there's so many layers to this and so many complexities to this. And David Seymour wanting just to kind of go like this and push it through. And it's almost like you're shaving off bits of his cake as you go <laughs> along saying, okay, I'll on that. I'll copy-. And he just hopes he's got a big enough piece at the end that he can be like put forward and... and and released to the yes. to the gods as as a piece of legislation.
1: I thought the um, news bulletin was quite funny last night actually we had uh, obviously David Seymour. Heavily in your track, and then he also got his. um, Well, the government adopted his rugby world cup it again. You know, yeah, yeah, Yeah. back in the back in the bulletin a story later. (laughs) You know, with another
0: one seat wonder was um, (laughs) dominating the first break on
1: the um, one news bulletin. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully he'll be celebrating like he was last night for his rugby world cup bill uh, over his uh, uh, euthanasia bill.
1: Well, he'll be hoping, will eh? he?
0: Yeah, yeah. Shall we wrap it up? Do you want to do a little outro? Oh yes, here's the outro. This was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available around this time each week on One News Now. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app.